Welcome everyone. Uh, this is Carlos from SeedCamp and today we have a special guest uh, who has been instrumental in defining a lot of the uh, graphical uh, uh, interpretation of what SeedCamp is and uh, this includes the logo that we have on our current website to some of the infographics that we've done in the past that you might have seen and, and, and downloaded. And um, with that I'd like to introduce uh, Geroid O'Rourke. Um, he, uh, his, his name is always a bit of a challenge. I love in your very first slides how you always have an explanation of how to pronounce your name. Yeah, it's my first piece of information design as I break it down for people. Uh, it's one of the things that's better not to see, just to hear on the ear, you know? But uh, yeah, I think uh, my, my current pop culture references may be a lot of data to go with Lady Gaga at the start, so Ga, and then a road like the thing you drive on. That's my, yeah. my, my one-line opener, right? It's a, it's, a good, it's a good sort of branding. Um, for you as well because it, it makes you quite memorable and and maybe with with being memorable maybe we can start back to the earliest memories of of what got you started in the world of design and, and maybe what we'll do is explore a little bit about how that shaped the the groid of today um, so tell us a little bit about sort of the early uh, the early years yeah sure if, if, if you go way back um, so my dad was actually a draftsman who designed boats big like tankers oil tankers not like small yachts or anything and um, we always had these drawings lying around the house and uh, and they were never the the complete thing it wasn't like a picture of a boat it was always like a section or a bit of a bulkhead or the bit that stored the containers and uh, and like it was that real kind of systems design like it had to fit together and have to go into every portal over Europe and that kind of like really big system thinking and um, I don't know I just kind of they were around when I was like seven and eight and nine I kind of just had an immersion in them and then I went away from design for a while and did some other things um, but yeah when I came back to it um, for me it was actually um, it was again it was, it was systems design I, I ended up working in a newspaper designing these modular systems for how you communicate news and how you build pages really quickly on a you know a Saturday night something happens you gotta get a front page out or get a new section change around really quickly and it's always been that element of like designing these systems these modular systems has always appealed to me and like the, the branding and, and the more kind of persuasive design stuff is definitely fun but it engages a different part of your brain as a designer I think so like that core design piece for me that started me off on that track was yeah that work my dad did I rebelled really badly when I was like 16 or 17 by doing economics and history by the way that was my worst rebellion ever decided design wasn't going to be for me I was going to go be a businessman and uh, and yeah soon learn the error of my ways um, but I think like that approach, um, that kind of a systems approach is also formed what I've done. And even when I've worked with my like, companies here at Seacamp, earlier stage companies on branding stuff, it's always like, well, talk about a brand system. You know, how are you going to use this branding work when you're 50 people, when you're 100 people, when you're global? How's it going to work when you go to Poland or Germany or Czechoslovakia, not just designing the logo right now in you know, Google Web Fonts, go and choose Lobster and make a logo. It's trying to think beyond that and think of the, the systemic implications of design decisions you're making at the moment. So um, let's, 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 let's go with that. When, mm. when you say systemic and when you mean system design, mm. um, that might not be something people pick up on automatically, right? It might be design jargon. Yeah, let's, let's probably sort of, is, right? Let's, it's let's definitely buzzwordy. Like, what, what does that mean? Like, how, how does, you know, one of the, the quotes that I remember from when you gave a talk at Seedcamp sure. a while back was around how much the, the, the design is culture and how mm -hmm. those two things are interlinked. Yeah. Maybe you can break it down for, for the sort of the non-designer, mm -hmm. what, what you mean by systemic. Okay, so like when you're an early stage company or, or a company that's in Seedcamp at the moment, you're probably like three or five or maybe slightly bigger than that people. Um, but you make some very implicit decisions about how design fits into your company in those early days. And it's like, do you outsource? Do you insource? 
Um, do you take very conscious design decisions or do you let those decisions kind of happen because they're shaped by other needs, whether it's business needs or staffing needs, whatever else? And those initial decisions I think you take as a startup define how design will be part of your proposition in the longer run. So when I talk about like system design, you're, you're building the first block of that. Now, that can be very tangible in your actual product, right? So the way you approach the product design, the first pieces you build, the care and attention you put into them, where you build a small amount first and go deep or go broad and shallow, those kind of decisions are inherently design decisions and they shape the the kind of designs, I suppose I'm harping the word systems too much, but design systems you will have uh, in the future. And I think trying to take a reasonably like modular approach to that in the early days. So I'll give an example. I worked with a, a, a company, a Cinco company years ago on some branding work for, for their pitch. And what I tried to instill in them was, you know, we need to do something small now because you're a small company, but we do need to put some thought into how we might expand this branding work when you're an international company. So we'll choose some colors, we'll choose some tone of voice, we'll choose some visuals, but we'll try not to choose things that will cut you off from you know, maybe an international market or some product diversification down the road. So we're not trying to like completely visualize the one thing you do now. We're trying to even broaden up that in the future you can you can build onto it. I definitely I kind of see like. Um, so how do you kick that conversation off with a team? So like you know a, a lot of this this makes sense. Mm-hmm. You, you know you want to think about the future while yeah, you're it's logical stuff, right? Yeah. And but surely whenever you work with a, a client, you start off with either what they've already thought through mm-hmm. and that you're going to implement? Yeah. Or do you ever step in and say, hey, hold on, guys. This does not sound like you, especially if you know them a little bit. You're like, yeah. so what, are, what is like step one? What is Groyd's first thing he does when he engages with somebody? Yeah, sure. Like, so actually, oh, the first step is rarely about design. It's actually really about getting to know the, the founders of a small startup and kind of what they're trying to achieve with their company because uh, successful companies, those two things, the founder personalities in the early days and what they're trying to achieve with the company in the long term flow through everything they do. So generally, and some people find it really weird, like that first conversation is rarely about colors or shapes or layout or typography or any of those classic design things. It's much more about getting to know them and understanding their motivations and goals and also understanding the previous experiences they've had of working with a designer is actually quite important a lot of the time because mm-hmm. uh, that will define their perception of where design can add value to their company. Sometimes it's unpicking bad previous experiences. So if they've worked with maybe a very junior graphic designer who's just come in and does some visual work and handed it over, they'll have a conception of where design can add value. Whereas I definitely try and add value to a kind of a, I'd say a slightly higher level in terms of helping shape the product proposition, helping decide what not to build or what not to design. Like for example, um, a company I work with at the moment, you know, we have a back-end admin system that we've just decided, you know what, we're just gonna use Twitter Bootstrap. This is not a customer facing product, it's only internal, we don't think design is going to help us win in that part. We know it'll help us win in the customer facing self, so let's focus our design resources there. But that's a design decision, right? We're saying, okay, this bit, this can be super functional, super basic. This bit over here goes to customers, that needs to be emotive, persuasive, uh, enjoyable, and and delightful. And like helping founders make those kind of decisions, like there's no designing in the classic sense there that I sit down and like draw some things on a piece of paper, but I think that's a very important design decision to make because it helps you inform resourcing decisions where you hire engineers, where you hire yeah. a team, like all those things that flow out from it. Mm-hmm. So, so let's let's pa- let, yeah. let's pause that then, and then maybe take this as an opportunity to define design in your eyes. Oosh. Define <laughs> design in your eyes because I think the way that you just narrated that that previous anecdote, it sounds like some of the times you're going into an organization where they have a, a preconceived notion of mm-hmm. what design is. They're trying to shoehorn you into that. And then you're fighting against that and trying to sort of take a more strategic view. Yeah. So may, maybe start by like if, if you if you wanted the audience to sort of walk away with like what 
should their thinking be when the word design is, is invoked? What would that be? That is a really big question. Um, I'm going to preface my answer a little bit of like what's going on in the design industry right now. And there's there's two tensions. One is towards specialization and you know increasing like title specificity specificity in designers like UX designer, interaction designer, branding designer, communication designer. That's one tension that's taking us one direction. The other tension is kind of the more ideal model where design is everything, and you can apply design thinking as a kind of a mental framework to any problem. And both of those extremes have, have negative aspects to them. So the design can be applied to anything, dilutes the notion of what design is to the extent that it really isn't anything except being logical and, and, and kind of being quite analytical in your thinking. Uh, but the super specific job title direction is much very limiting, I think, as a design for a designer's role in the company. I'm somewhere more towards the ideal side of things, but I still think there are uh, values to having a definition around what design is. In an early stage, um, startup i think the value that design can add is in creating great user experiences and the designer that you have in your company should be able to influence any decisions that affect the user experience so for example i, I use an anecdote when everyone talks to ccamp like that could be server response time being quick that could be how the actual interaction looks it could be the follow-on phone call from your customer service team and it could be uh, the actual website itself so you know that's a really broad spectrum that spans every kind of layer of your company potentially if you have if you have that kind of company, um, and I think that there are inherent design decisions at each of those mm. levels. Um, so you know I think an, a useful definition for a startup is like yeah design is customer experience and shaping that and having someone think a, about that at a level above just visual and just interaction is kind of very very useful. Mm. Now the challenge almost for any stage startups is can you hire the person who can fulfill that kind of role mm. or do you just go for a much more traditional visual designer type hire because you're a small team, you're not heavily funded yeah. and getting someone who kind of can operate at a slightly higher level is a, is a challenge. Yeah. So um, so that sounds, you know, that, that, that makes sense and, mm -hmm. and it's actually a very good way of visualizing the, the polarity between sort of an IDEO all-inclusive design thinking to a more sort of narrowly defined uh, design role. Whenever uh, a company is just starting out, clearly the CEO is probably head designer as well. Mm -hmm. um, what, what skills would you say, or what thinking, or what philosophy, or what books, or whatever, what recommendations would you make for somebody who is not in the position to afford somebody like you, or a, a design uh, specialist? to start training or, or thinking in a way that allows him to not shoot himself in the foot or herself in the foot for a, a later time when they do have the funding to sort of evolve that and polish it. Sure. Um, I think the first piece of advice to get found in that scenario is not to focus too much on the kind of the visual elements of design. It's That is kind of a technical skill in some sense and it's one that you know, everyone has an opinion and some taste in that area but the technical abilities to pull off great visual design are, are taught and learned. Yeah. Um, Focus more on the kind of more UX or user experience type decisions, like how your product works well done, how it looks. And that's where I think as a founder, you can probably, from the conversations you're having with other people in the space and with potential users, that's where you can apply your level of design thinking most effectively. Um, there are some, uh, lots of books in this area and lots of resources. There's one book I would highly recommend uh, reading. It's called uh, Undercover User... Research, research. It's Kenneth Bowles wrote it. He's a, a London-based designer. Um, it's a small volume. It, it, it's really, really nice. Um, and it just talks about how to do that kind of user-driven design in a lightweight way so you're not getting bogged down into months of qualitative user interviews or 
trying to trip yourself up with huge amounts of quantitative testing because you don't have the data and you're trying to like grok that out something. Um, I think uh, one of the things that you'll find uh, with early stage founders is that they can sometimes get blinded by certain details I find. You know, they'll get a little obsessed about the, the blue of the button, the classic Google thing where we've got test 15 different types of blue. Like you're rarely at the stage uh, in an early stage startup where those very micro design decisions are going to make very big macro changes in your business and like focusing the part of your brain as a founder that can think about design in the time you have mm. on those just is wasteful and it, it's easy to get lost in them right and we yeah. had some great blog posts on Buffer about how they change one thing and it unlocked everything you're much better off trying to stay at that like, like I said customer experience user experience level and defining you know flows and interactions at like a higher level rather than going right down into the detail um, and another plug for a series of books purely because they're all about 90 pages long and they give really nice introductions. There's a series of books called A Book Apart. They're written by, they're a publishing company in the States. They're all web type people who came together to publish a series of books. They're all introductions to different things. One is emotive design. One is just enough research. One is web typography. One is East Color. They're all about 90 to 100 pages. As an early stage founder, by the set. It's like $70, it's like 10 bucks, and you, there was a huge amount of value in reading those. You'll probably read them over a weekend, but they have that nice level of just enough, just enough that you need, but not enough that you're going to spend 200 pages of, of, of diving into it. I've actually recommended those to friends who started startups in the last year, and they found them really, really useful. They sit on your shelf. So that's kind of like how to use a hammer, how to use a screwdriver, yeah, exactly. how to use this at the most basic level. Yep. But then the biggest thing that you're recommending is not focusing specifically on the tools, but focusing specifically on how to identify the problem. Yeah, focus on the what and why, not the yeah. how, essentially, in yeah. various stages. The other thing is, and it, I don't know if it's necessary or is sometimes, but when founders go too deep into the how early, early stage, it doesn't necessarily leave the space to hire a good creative person into the business. If a lot of decisions have been taken and are owned by the founder, you really need to, you're in the position there where the founder needs to walk back out of that a little bit to yeah. leave the space to bring in some some good design thinker and yeah. for them to feel like they can influence those decisions. That's actually a really interesting challenge I've seen and I've tried to help one or two companies through, not as the person in it, just as an, someone advising, whereas a founder has hired in a great designer and it's not working three months in and they're yeah. going like, what's going on here? And like, well, did you really leave the space for that designer to make an impact? And vice versa, did the designer really take the time to understand why you made all those very, very micro yeah. decisions in the first place? And you end up kind of trying to walk some of those back, get to yeah. a place where they both have an input and then move forward again. So. Which is a good transition to uh, to that topic I mentioned earlier that you had discussed, which was the culture. Can, yeah. what, what does design culture look like? What does a company, when you walk in to a company that's hired you, when do you say, wow, these guys really nailed it? I think um, I, I interviewed for a job years ago with a guy called Owen McCabe. He runs Intercom, he's one of the founders there. And he had this great phrase that design is fractal. That like if you zoom into any level of a company that values design, you see design at that level. And I think you know companies with great design culture have that. So um, as an example, like you know if you go into their most boring transactional email that gets sent one in every three hundred times, has that been thought about, considered, and made a nice experience? And then you zoom right out to their homepage. Is that a nice, thoughtful, well-designed experience? And if both those things are true, you're probably looking at a company that really values applying good design thinking to the entire gamut of what they're producing. Um, that was always my answer. Recently, I started thinking like is there something in the company's structure as well, in terms of like how the company itself is designed that maybe engenders or, or builds the kind of environment where good design can happen? I actually don't have a necessary answer on that yet, but there's something about where you place designers in your company and what a senior level you place them that can influence how your company perceives the value of design and how 
that creates the environment for good design to happen. That's really tricky. I don't, I couldn't point to companies that I feel like have nailed that yet. Uh, but I think there's something, and it's because there are more designer founders these days as well. That designers are tending to end up at higher levels in companies, and that's changing the way those companies perceive the value of design. But really, really basic stuff. You know, uh, trust your designers to do good user-driven design. That's a great way to get to a good d design culture. Um, don't try and uh, if you're going to interact with any person who has a technical skill, it rarely makes sense to try and challenge them on the technical detail, challenge them on the why and the motivation on the technical detail. So with a designer, it's not that like, I don't like that blue, it's like, okay, can you talk me through the thought process of why you chose that blue? And if they can't talk through their thought process, then that's a, a good challenge, right? Because they haven't really been thinking about the work they're doing, they're just doing work. Um, I think as well, um, it's an interesting one for, for startups. I think. You should hire generous designers early and then specialize. Some people go straight in and hire an interaction designer and a UX guy. I'd say we've got a design team. I think you're much better off hiring some generous people, probably a little, less, a little younger, less experienced, and let them grow with the company and then specialize. Um, I think I've actually turned around an opinion on that in probably the last two years as well. I would have said, yeah, get some specialists in early where you need the value in your company and go that direction. But I've seen that go quite badly. And I think actually better off go generous, go a little bit younger and accept that you're a startup and, mm. and these people will specialize with the company as, as it scales. Uh, and then finally, sit your engineers and your designers together. Like, don't let them sit in different parts of the building. Don't let them be two different teams as much as possible. Just mm. sit them right next to each other because that, that's the force multiplier in your business if you're a technology startup. Those people who sit down and make product. Like you, when you're a startup, you can differentiate in lots of different ways as a business, logistically or in your messaging or everything else. But the thing that lets you do all of those things faster is your technical core mm. and your design core. And like if those guys aren't acting as a force multiplier in your business, then you're not doing that right either. So yeah. put them in one place, make them work together, build a unit there that definitely doesn't see a difference between engineering to design, yeah. and you're going to get those better outcomes. So the the topic of MVP is uh, is a uh, is one that people generally kind of understand when it mm -hmm. comes to functionality. Yeah. But when it comes to design, it, it's probably a little bit more nebulous. Like when when is um, flow good enough like the yeah. transaction might be possible mm -hmm. but when do you know the design of that flow is possible or when do you know that the sort of more vertical components of it like the 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 colors and yeah. the schemas and the logos and all that stuff when when's good enough it's a very difficult question i think like the thing hinges there is on the viable right you know mm -hmm. and, and you have to look about where does viability come in the market you're competing in so if you're competing in a super mature market with some very incumbent players, viability is a really higher bar for you because those guys are already probably offering a very good user experience. Give the example of if I wanted to go compete with Squarespace right now, you know, fantastic products I can better to WordPress, fantastic product, really great user experience. My MVP to compete with them, the V is much higher, right? That viability part has to be, the quality has to be so high, the experience has to be so great. Um, if I was gonna go compete with a uh, enterprise software, more of an API type interaction product, yeah. then the interaction design probably doesn't need to be quite as good initially because yeah. that's not what you're selling it on. I think understanding like your market that you're operating in and like how you're going to differentiate there, is it by great user experience, is it by price, is mm. it by the actual just technical innovation of your mm. product. And I trust there's not that many technical innovation plays yeah. out there right now in consumer tech. It's much more on experience and much more on yeah. uh, price and ease. Um, but yeah, the good enough, it's really hard. And I suppose in some ways it's defined by what's around you mm. more so than what you are producing. 
having said that, you can make a call from the outset to be a company that differentiates very much on experience. And mm. sometimes you can get away with a less good feature set and a higher price point if you position yourself there. But then you're setting the bar high for yourself as well. Mm. I think it, it's one thing some companies get wrong a lot on an MVP. They assume that the viable means functional, and it doesn't. It means the experience that customers, the minimum experience that customers would accept. And uh, yeah, that minimum experience may be set at a higher bar because yeah. you've got competitors. Because the place. context, right? The, yeah. the context that you're asking. Sometimes format informs it as well. I think the MVP for our iOS app now is incredibly high because people expect a level of interaction design on, on an iOS device that is so high. Like yeah. to come in with a pretty cruddy iOS app that has a great concept behind it, it's going to be so hard to prove your yeah. concept there. So, yeah. so you, you've been a designer for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I got my first paying design job when I was like 17 and I'm 28 now, so 11 years. And, and you know, you've, you've had some amazing clients throughout those um, years, mm -hmm. but recently you've made a transition into mm. a different kind of role. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So this is, uh, I mean, really recently, like last six weeks recently. Um, so in the startup I work at, uh, my previous job title was product lead. I was working designing product teams there on that set of things, and we kind of made a decision as a company that we wanted to be, we wanted to apply that kind of thinking to how we market the product we have. Um, so the company I work is Hassle.com, I'm gonna get the plug in there now, and then we'll, we'll pay some sponsorship at some point. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to apply product thinking, design thinking to how we grow the company, mm -hmm. and we had, I think, at that point, we're taking a reasonably traditional marketing mix approach. Um, so yeah, so I've stepped into what we re, re, recoined a growth role, because um, marketing is a process, growth is an outcome, we're more focused on outcomes. Uh, and yeah, I've been trying to like bring a lot more of those kind of agile methodologies, and just even like work practices from engineering and design into a marketing environment. And, and that's super interesting for me. And it fits with my mindset of like kind of design thinking can be applied to almost anything. Mm. Uh, and you know, when it comes to marketing, and if I was to give advice to startups on, on the growth side of things, I'd say it's about cohesive thinking end to end. It's not just thinking about the marketing piece, it's thinking, like, go back to the product that you're selling, move forward from that, think about the, at the other end. So for example, if you're gonna do a really, really big discount-led promotion, okay, that's great, we'll get your customers to the door. What kind of customers are they? How does your product support discounting? How does it communicate it? Is it gonna be confusing for people? What happens when they go into the full billing tier? That kind of like end-to-end -end product thinking that yeah. sometimes you don't necessarily get in a marketing effort. Uh, and it's, it's really, really, really interesting, I've gotta say. I think you'll you'll find that good designers and good engineers to an extent are, are curious people. They like to know how yeah. things work. They like to take them apart and figure it out. And that's kind of my approach to, to marketing or growth efforts at the moment. It's like, how does this work? You know, let's take this apart. Yeah. The other thing is, frankly, a lot of, for startups, marketing says is digital and digital channels. And yeah. like, those are essentially technical products that someone's built an interface for. But if you can understand the technical underpinnings of them, like an AdWords model or a Google Ad, uh, Facebook Ad Exchange model, like if you understand fundamentally how those products work at a technical level, it's much easier to manipulate them for a growth outcome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's incredibly interesting. I think um, uh, it's also changed my thinking on how you structure design roles in a company as well, right? Mm. So I think normally when you're hiring a designer as a tech company, you probably, in your mind, are looking for one of two people. You're looking for a product designer or I think we more traditionally call it like a graphic communications designer. Mm -hmm. uh, so branding and, and you know, ads, and over here we've got product and, and tech things. But actually I think that that dichotomy is just actually kind of pointless. I think the best kind of uh, advertising or growth work we've done recently has been interactive pieces. Mm -hmm. So we did this really cool thing around St. Patrick's Day um, just this week. And that's because we made product designers do growth style designing. 
And they brought that product mindset to it and said, okay, what can we build here? Not just like what picture can we make, but what actually interactive, cool tool can we build that will engage people and then hopefully convert them to the product as well. Yeah. So I think that, that dichotomy of like graphic design, communication design, product design, it's a false dichotomy. And it's just, I think it's an agency hangover really, uh, how you build out people's time more than yeah. anything else. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been incredibly interesting. And I think uh, one of the great things of working in a startup is being able to like, you know, traverse those different roles, right? Yeah, Go from being yeah. a designer to being a growth guy and who knows, being a... Customer service guy next, maybe. <laughs> and, then, and then soon, maybe even designing your way out of many other problems around the world. Yeah, um, we usually end with uh, a shameless plug. So since you've already <laughs> I've had company, my shameless plug. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe you can shamelessly plug um, something that you're really passionate about. I can't actually. Um, uh, so uh, shamelessly plug one thing, actually. So I run an event for designers in mm-hmm. London to bring together the digital designers. We've been doing it for about two years. It has a terrible name. It's called Design and Banter. Uh, we do it every single month. Uh, it tours around a different company office. So we've done Facebook, and we've done ones at Skype, we've done ones at IBM, but we've also done ones at really small startups as well. We did one here at Ccamp. We did it at Ccamp, yes, we did. Uh, so that is a place for different types of designers to meet. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the really great things about it is that we do get startup designers, we get some architects, some conceptual artists. And I'd say two things, you know, any designers out there listening and encourage them to come along, but also, you know, if you are a startup founder and you're trying to understand designers and try to find out, like, if you're going to hire one soon, you want to just go talk to a bunch of them and get their opinions and stuff, you know, come along and don't, and don't be shy. I think the design community is, is very welcoming one. You know, it's not like we're not a designer, we're not going to talk to you. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, designermanager.com. Come along and listen to the talks and meet some designers. Excellent. All right, thanks. And for those that you're wondering what the book titles were, we're going to be putting those up on the website. Thanks again, Thank Gerard. You, Bye.